Hallelujah. Christ is risen. This morning we continue with Easter joy. The joy that fills us with the resurrection of Jesus that changed the world and our eternity. The context, like I mentioned before, is John chapter 20, still on Easter. Still the day of the celebration, the first day of the week. We celebrated a week ago already, and um, again, appreciation for those who have participated in it to uh, make things happen. Through the breakfast, flowers on the cross, the decorations that were out, and just the celebration, the joy that we um, brought out last week, celebrating the empty tomb of Jesus. But this reading in John 20 begins still on that first day. It's the evening now. But we know this from the context from John 20, that the word had reached the disciples in the upper room, that they knew that the news, you know, was being shared. They knew that people had seen Jesus, right? First, it was the women who had gone to the tomb and they'd come back. And Peter and John, in John's gospel, this is where there's the foot race, right? They run to the tomb and John outruns Peter and he, you know, inserts that in there. Wants to make sure everybody always remembers the disciple whom Jesus loved won the race, just so we're all clear. They experience the empty tomb. They go away. They share that news. Mary Magdalene has an experience with the resurrected Jesus. Still, John chapter 20, right? She's outside the tomb, doesn't know where he is, and they have a conversation. Jesus calls her by name. She goes back and says, I have seen the Lord. So that news that the Lord had actually been seen, not just that the tomb was empty, but there was a a one-on-one, an experience face-to-face with Jesus, reaches the disciples. And yet, where are they? Huddled up in the upper room, right? That's what it looked like. Even in our celebration, whether that's Easter or other times of joy and celebration, we hear good news, things are exciting, but there's something on our minds sometimes. Some distraction, some worry, some sorrow, some fear, some doubt. So our theme or our our first thing that we want to make sure that we see in this text is that the risen Christ comforts. The risen Christ comforts. He helps us fight our fear. Our text read, uh, began this way in the reading. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. So there's fear among them. And I can imagine that, right? It's evening now. The sun's going down. You're not sure what's going to happen, and well, what went down just a few nights ago when it took place under the cover of darkness, right? So maybe they were not huddled up in fear with the doors locked all day long. Peter and John had left, Mary Magdalene had left, but now that it's getting dark, remember what they did in the garden. I don't know. Let's not be out on the streets. Let's come back together. And there's safety in numbers. So they're, you know, gathered up together with the doors locked. And it's not difficult to understand. It's not difficult to imagine that fear. 
Jesus had been crucified. Okay, well, we're hearing these stories about people who've seen him and that the tomb was empty and he's risen. But okay, what does that mean tonight? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? Is it actually safe? Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. Sometimes we fear. Have you been afraid of change before? Approaching, you know, some time in your life and it's going to be different in your and it starts to feel like, like the, the riverboat that's going downstream and you start to hear the roar of the waterfall, right? Sometimes we, we feel that way, like we're going to reach that edge and think everything changes. And we get a little tense about it, a little nervous about it. There's some fear involved in changes like that. Have you been afraid of the future or the unknown? The unknown can be scary right? We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if we're safe. We don't know if, you know, we don't know what the economy's going to do. We've never known what the economy's going to do. We don't know if a conflict that's happening kind of on the other side of the planet may impact us in our lives and in our time. I mean, it already is, but in kind of tertiary ways, not directly, but is it going to escalate? Is it going to get bad enough that it comes here? What other fears do we face? Fear of loss. Fear of the diagnosis. Fear of whatever that treatment plan might look like. Fear of death. We fear things. And some of our fears are reasonable, right? It's reasonable to be afraid or nervous or tense about certain things. But then there's the other things that are irrational. Is there a fear you're facing today? Fear can make us flee, run away. Fear can make us fight. And fear can make us freeze. It seems like the disciples were frozen, stuck. Unable to, with confidence at least, venture out, particularly in the evening. So Jesus helps us fight our fear. He also dismisses our doubt. Not in a way that's like, you know, dismissive. Maybe he helps us dismiss our doubts would be a better way to say it. Further in the text, eight days later... His disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them this time. So the whole interaction with Thomas has already happened, where Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe unless I see him myself, and have that physical, tactile interaction. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Often the week after Easter, we focus on Thomas. And he gets that reputation, right? He's doubting Thomas. That poor guy. We should just call him late Thomas, right? 
Because how many of these other disciples didn't feel that way? How many of them were, I believe, let's go? (laughs) None, right? They had all seen Jesus. Earlier, like right away when Jesus shows up, he showed them his hands. So it's not like Thomas is the one guy holding out to see Jesus and then believe. They all got to see Jesus before they at least seemingly had this full faith experience. But he gets all that attention. Doubt is common, right? Who hasn't had a doubt? Our courts need to be decided on, a, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt is the, is the threshold. How many things do we know beyond a reasonable doubt? Now, there's things that we know and things that we, you know, understand, but especially when it comes to faith matters. Do we have doubts? Sometimes we do. And it's not unexpected. It's not unreasonable. We question things. We're uh, interrogative, inquisitive. That's the word I was looking for. We're an inquisitive kind of people. We want to know, and we want to have evidence, and we want to have proof. Complete the cliche, if it sounds too good to be true, it is, it probably is, yeah. Sometime I heard it this way, if it sounds too good to be true, it isn't. It isn't true or isn't too good to be true? Like, I, I, that didn't make sense to me, but I don't know, maybe it does. But you know what it means, right? If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is not true. And, and sometimes we hear those things, it sounds too good to be true. That's called advertising. <laughs> sometimes, right? You know, and then there's the little fine print at the bottom of the ad. Past results can't be guaranteed to future success or whatever. Or, you know, this medication may not provide these same results for everyone who takes it. And it's all in the tiny little print at the bottom of the screen, and they don't, you know, and that's their, that's their, I guess, way to protect themselves from any liability so that when we take that, you know, medication expecting whatever the desired result, and it doesn't happen, we can't complain for false advertising because they had the tiny, you know, size one font down there at the bottom of the screen that nobody sees. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. We've probably heard promises from people and thought, I just don't know that they're going to be able to keep that promise. And we've probably been burned in the past. Have you been burned Somebody who tells you, you know, what you maybe want to hear, but they're not quite honest about it. Someone who shares some information or some news, and it's not really accurate, and you find out later. Sometimes we end up having doubts because of these experiences, so our, our minds are full of all these times when we've heard something, seen something, and, well, it didn't seem quite right, but we got suckered in and believed it. If you get an email that's offering you like $26 million from the prince in some African nation, 
it's probably not true. I mean, this is what scammers do all the time. And so, you know, how many of us are leery of those kinds of stories, those kinds of emails? I'm getting text messages now with, hey, I didn't know what I was missing until I took this medication. Click here. Um, No, thanks. (laughs) How did you get my number? We have our doubts about people's intentions, their honesty, their integrity, because we have so many experiences in our lives that we draw on to go, hmm, I have a hard time believing that. Last night I got a phone call. It was, you know, a surprise, you know, out of the blue call, and it was a person who knew I was a pastor um, who was traveling and needed to get from here to, or not from here actually, was in Fresno and wanted to get to um, a town in Nebraska and needed a little bit of help for bus fare or train or something. Um, And it was one of those things where I was like, well, he knows enough about me and it seems legitimate. I ended up helping him, but, you know, at the same time I was like, I just don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe I'll find out one day. We even have spiritual doubts. Can this be true? Can it be true that God created in this way? Can it be true the way that the Bible describes this happening? Can it be true that some of the things that are there, like, really? Like, well, maybe it was an eclipse, or maybe it was an earthquake, or maybe it was, and we can start to think of natural ways to describe some of these events. You know what the first thing the devil said in Genesis 3? Did God really say? Doubt is the devil's greatest tool. Chipping away at our confidence, chipping away on our hope and, and our, um, our trust in what God's word says. But in the face of all of that, and even in these disciples here in the upper room, He provides peace. Jesus' word to those who were afraid and to those who were full of doubt wasn't get over it. (laughs) It wasn't you're being childish. I don't understand why you're still stuck here. It wasn't pull yourself up, be brave, right? Take courage. A lot of the time when, when we think about fear, our Our answer to fear is courage, right? It's bravery. It's facing that and hitting it head on. That's not what Jesus gives to his disciples. He says, peace be with you. Sometimes when we're afraid, we need peace more than anything. When we feel like the boat is heading toward that cliff, we need peace to make it through those rapids, the confidence that that peace can give us knowing that God is with me in this trial, in this burden, in this time, in this experience. Jesus provides peace. Against our doubts, we can have peace. That peace and that confidence that he gives are gifts from the risen Christ. So he provides peace, he also gives joy. 
Verse 20. When he had said this, so this is back at the very beginning, right? So Jesus just shows up first time. The disciples are there. Thomas is not there yet. He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. This is um, how the English Standard Version that we read this morning and that we most often use. They were glad. This is one place where I think the ESV missed it. Because <laughs> that word ought to be rejoiced. It ought to be something more than glad, right? Are you glad about something? Like glad just seems like regular kind of happiness, you know? And not even that fantastically happy. Oh, I was glad that that team won. I was glad that, you know, when I got there, there was a place to park. Nah. They rejoiced. Like the word in Greek is, let me find it. Uh, it's from a word, Cairo. And more often it's translated rejoice than kind of a simple gladness. Like if you've heard the word, Jesus is risen, and if you've heard people say, oh, I've seen him, when he shows up and, and he proves it to you, right? He's like, oh, check it out. You don't go, oh, I'm glad. I'm glad to see you. No. You're like, wow, it's Jesus. He's here. This is amazing. They're rejoicing. Glad doesn't capture it. So let's use rejoice. He gives joy. And in that, we see this. He still bears the marks of his suffering. He bears the marks of his suffering. He showed the disciples. He showed Thomas. His death was real, and the results are lasting. Not just the scars that he bears, that he can show them. Here it is. Right, here it is. But the results of it are lasting for you and for me. His death was for us. And a week ago Friday, we remembered that death with a cross right here that we put our nails in to represent our sins. That rough wood, the suffering of Jesus, and he still bears those marks. That was for you and for me. His death was for us, for all the doubt that we've felt, all the fear that we've struggled to face, all the problems that we hang on to and all the ways that we turn from him. And that death was for us, but he was standing there speaking with them, showing them, yes, I'm the one who died, but I am living. A Revelation text today, there's a few spots where Jesus is speaking to John, you know, this is a vision that John has of the risen Jesus years later. I'm the first and last, the living one. The living one with the marks of the nails and, and the spear reminding us of the death that he suffered, but that death was for us. So if there's ever been a reason for rejoicing, it's that the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who suffered on our behalf, has overcome death and the grave. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Rejoice and praise the Lord for that resurrection. The news of Easter changes everything. It changed everything for these people. I started, uh, Tom Zelt, who's pastor up in Fremont, 
that Prince of Peace, he wrote a book called The Lynchpin. And it's reasons to believe the resurrection of Jesus really happened. And one of those is the willingness of these disciples who were locked away in the upper room, right, because of their fear and hiding from the Jews and even from the Romans and, and all of that to become the bold proclaimers of the resurrection of Jesus. It was a 180-degree turn for them. Maybe not for Peter. It was more of a, you know 85-degree turn for him. He was already bold. He just needed to be pointed in the right direction. But a life-changing event, the resurrection of Jesus, that gives us peace and joy. Joy and happiness are different. Just like the gladness word. And, you know, we can be happy about a lot of things, but the joy that we feel is deeper than that. It's more full than that. We can have joy even in sorrow, even in challenge, even in difficulty. There's a story told of some gold miners from, you know, gold rush days. Could have been not too far from here that this happened. There's a few of them, and they're in a, you know, just this little, um, what do they call that? It's not a mine yet. It was just a claim, just a little spot where they were searching. Hadn't really found much yet. When all of a sudden there was this rock that looked different from all the rest, and they cracked it open, and sure enough, inside it was gold. Okay, time to dig a mine. But we don't have the supplies. We've got to go into town. So the, you know, seven or eight of the guys are like, okay, we're going into town, but nobody can say anything. Because the second this news gets out, this place is going to be overrun. We can't. And they all agreed, shook hands on it, whatever they did. So they go into town and get some supplies, gather up the stuff that they need. They pile it up on the wagon and the you know, horses. and They try to be as discreet as possible. They get ready to leave town and they look around. There's like 150 people ready to follow. Which one of us spilled the beans? And they start looking at each other like, was it you? Was it you? Finally, they learn from the other people. No, none of you said anything. You didn't have to. It was all over your faces. You've got joy. Let's make sure our faces know it. Our joy overflows. Our joy at the resurrection of Jesus overflows, and that's by design. Jesus calls his disciples into mission right away. He shows up, peace be with you, and this is what he goes on and says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He sends his disciples into mission Just as he was sent, he sends with the opportunity to bring the gospel, the good news, the resurrection of Jesus to people who need to hear it. With the privilege of forgiving sin by Jesus' mercy through his sacrifice, by his grace alone, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't send them alone, right? Jesus doesn't show up and go, peace be with you, now hit the road, boys. Get out there. First thing he does is give them the spirit so that they can do it with confidence, without doubts. Jesus wanted those men to be so confident 
and so joyful and so peaceful and so hopeful that it was evident in their lives that what they had seen is what they were sharing. They became apostles, which literally means sent ones, sent into the world on this mission because the story brings life. At the end of the chapter, verse 31, these things are written. This is John's kind of concluding statement about why he wrote the book. There's so much that could be said about Jesus that would fill so many books. We don't have room for all that. We don't have time for all that. But these are written, verse 31 says, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what he came to bring. Peace and joy and hope and love and all of that summed up in a word is life, an abundant life, a full life, a life of hope and confidence today and forever. Who needs life? Who needs peace? Who needs joy? Let's tell the story of the risen Lord, because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.